Thanks to be seated and welcome to Oak Ridge Baptist Church and our weekly family reunion. If you're visiting with us today, uh, for the next uh, few minutes, you're going to be part of our family. And so we want you to know that you're in a very uh, safe environment to move as God puts upon your heart. We'd love for you to stop by our welcome desk out in the front foyer. Uh, give us an opportunity to meet you and know more about you and answer, answer any questions uh, that you may have about our church family. This week I was reading about an elderly family that uh, they went for their annual checkup and uh, the doctor kind of went over everything. Everything was good, but he did want to ask them, is there anything that they had uh, been struggling with recently? And uh, they said, well, our short-term memory seems to kind of be a problem lately. And considering their age and all those kind of things uh, together, he said, well, I, I don't think there's really a problem. Why don't you just get you a notepad? Uh, and as kind of things happen, jot it down, and that way you'll be able to remember. And so later that evening, they were home, and they were watching television together. And uh, the husband got up to go, uh, go to the kitchen, and the wife said, hey, would you bring me a bowl of ice cream? And he said, well, of course, I'll, I'll do that. And she said, where's your notepad? And he said, I don't need any notepad. My memory's not that bad. And she said, okay, but you got to understand, I want some chocolate syrup on top of my ice cream. And he said, that's no problem. I can get that. She said, where is your notepad? The doctor said, he said, I don't need a notepad. She said, but you don't understand. I want whipped cream on top of my chocolate syrup on top of my ice cream. Where is your notepad, honey? You need your notepad. He said, honey, I don't need the notepad. Ice cream, chocolate syrup, whipped cream, got it covered. Off he goes to the kitchen. He comes back about 30 minutes later and he has a plate of scrambled eggs, bacon, and sausage. And he hands it to his wife and she throws her hands up and said, see there, I told you you needed the notepad. Where is my toast? <laughs> Researchers have found that approximately 56% of the information that we receive is forgotten in one hour, 66% after one day, and 76% after six days. In other words, we forget a lot more than we ever remember. So it, is, it, is it any wonder that throughout scriptures over and over again, we find God saying, remember, hide in your heart, 
write these things down so that future generations uh, will be able to know of my greatness. Isaiah 46, 9 says, remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. First Chronicles 16 says, remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Psalm 103, 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Why we need to remember the things of God and write them down and hide them in our heart. Uh, it's demonstrated for us in the life of one of King David's uh, worship leaders. It's a guy by the name of Asaph. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes the 73rd Psalm. Oftentimes people ask me, well, pastor, how did you know he wrote it? Uh, because right under the title, it says, a Psalm by Asaph. So I get that one right, okay? And so there was something going on in his life. In the second verse of his Psalm, he says, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Asaph says, there was something going on in my life, something that uh, was troubling me, something that almost made me stumble. And then he answers what that was in verse 3. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, as he began to focus on what was going on in the world around him, what was happening, uh, he, he began to have problems. And so he began to think to himself, as verse 13 says, surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. But then in verse 16, it says, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. It was during a moment of worship. It was during a time of, of being set apart to really concentrate on the things of God that Asaph remembered something. He remembered, ultimately, God is the one that's in control. And even though he was acutely aware of the fact that, yeah, the world is not everything that I wish it would, would, would be. And, and there's really a lot of unjust and unfair, unfair things that happen in our world Still, he was able to say in verse 23, God, you have taken hold of my right hand. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This morning, you and I have gathered in the sanctuary of God. Some of you that are here today, you're a lot like Asaph. Uh, there's things that are going on in our world that that you just don't understand. Man, you, you just knew the red wave was going to take place and, and our world was finally going to be right politically again. Others of you, there's things that are going on in your world. Uh, we're, we're approaching the holiday season and, and, and you're facing that moment where you're going to be with that family member that things, things just aren't right. Uh, inflation is what it is and Christmas is right around the corner and how am I going to be able to afford all the things that, that are expected of me this time of year. Well, this morning we've gathered in the sanctuary of God and we've done so to remember ultimately God is in control. And we want to remember that because we want to enter into this week of Thanksgiving. We want to enter into this time uh, with our minds set the right way, with our, thing, with our mind focused on uh, the right things, focusing on how blessed we are uh, to have a God that we serve and one that loved us so much that he was willing uh, to do what was necessary for us to have uh, eternal life. And so the way that we're going to do that this morning is uh, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. Um, if you're visiting with us today, you're more than welcome to be a part of that. Uh, the only criteria that we ask would be that uh, you've been saved and that you've made the profession of that salvation through uh, 
uh, participating in believer's baptism. Um, we don't do the Lord's Supper very often here at Oak Ridge because uh, I, I don't like it being an add-on, something we throw at the end. Uh, I, I'm really appalled by those that have to-go stations that go by and just grab it on the way out the door in case you want to do it in the parking lot. Uh, th- this means too much. Uh, th- this is one of the two ordinances that we find in uh, the local church. And so when we participate in the Lord's Supper together, it, it is the entire service. Um, we make sure that we're we're in clear understanding of what we're about to do and, and that our hearts are ready. And so uh, today we've been very careful to craft um, all that we've done, the songs, the, 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 the prayers, the, uh, the, 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 the scriptures that we're going to use. And, you know, normally when we come together, I'm very clear, open your Bible, be in your Bible, follow along with your Bible, make notes, check me, make sure that I'm right. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask everybody to put your Bible up and I'm going to ask everybody to turn your phones off. Um, I, I don't, I'm going to show you everything up on the screen that we need. I'm going to put every verse up here. I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through um, so that we're ready before we participate. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because I want us to be solely focused on this moment. I want us to really be where I believe God would have us to be when we enter into something as special as participating in the Lord's Supper together. So if you would bow your heads with me this morning and I'll lead us in a word of prayer and, and, and we'll begin together. Father, we love you today and, and we know that you love us because you loved us so much you sent your son. And Christ, we thank you that you were willing to come and to uh, do what was necessary, that we could be saved and that we could have life, an abundant life that uh, supersedes all of our struggles and our difficulties that we come into. And so Father, today as we begin our time together, we simply want to say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. And thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's worship together.
Oftentimes we ask, well, how, how do we participate in the Lord's Supper? There, there, there's different ways at different denominations and uh, maybe different belief groups. Well, how exactly should we participate in that? Well, we turn to the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, uh, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We know from Scripture that there are two ordinances uh, that have been given to the local church. The first is the ordinance of baptism, that, that first step, that declaration that we become a follower of Christ. Uh, our next baptismal service will be next Sunday, uh, November the 27th. I think we have 10 or so that are scheduled to be baptized. Uh, if you've not taken that step, uh, we would invite you to uh, reach out to the church office. I'd love to visit with you about that. That'll be the last time uh, that we'll be doing believers baptism uh, uh, this year with all the activities and things that we have coming up. The second ordinance is what we're participating in today and that is the Lord's Supper. To really understand, to get the fullest understanding of this, uh, what we should always do in Scripture when we're studying something is go back to the first mention. That's one of the laws of hermeneutics, the first mention of something. Uh, and the first mention of the Lord's Supper is given to us in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. It says, while they were eating, 
So the first Lord's Supper, it occurred in the context of the Passover meal. We know the Passover meal had dealt with uh, the 400 years of slavery that the children of the Hebrew children, uh, that they endured at the hand of Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians. And uh, after this 400 years that God calls Moses and sends Moses to Pharaoh and says, tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not about to do that. I, I, I'm not. And, and so God brings these plagues upon Pharaoh and upon the Egyptians. And even after nine of them, Pharaoh is still hardening his heart, not willing to do that. And we come to the 10th and final plague, uh, and it was that plague that uh, emancipated, that, that set the Hebrew children free. God tells him, I want you to find a male lamb and I want you to expect, inspect it to make sure that it's free of any blemishes, any faults. Then I want you to sacrifice that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and sprinkle it on the doorposts of your home. And any home that the death angel passes over that's covered by the blood of this perfect lamb then will be spared the fate of those that do not make that decision. And so because of this event, uh, following their emancipation, Moses uh, instructed the Jews in Exodus 12, observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. And so this became one of the uh, Jews' uh, annual feasts where they would come together and they would remember what God had done to rescue them out of Egypt. So now we come to that passage there in the book of Matthew. Jesus is gathered with a group of just ordinary men. He's there participating in this annual feast of the Passover. And it was there that he made the decision to show them once and for all that the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world indeed had come into the world to accomplish God's will for his life. And he wanted them to understand, as he wants you and I to understand, this coming into the world that Jesus did, it wasn't just for the Jewish people, it was for all people. I want you to do me a favor and look around you right now. Just kind of do a circle and just kind of notice. Um, do, do you realize right now that you're not sitting in the room alone? Uh, there's people that are here with you, right? Um, we're, we're not participating right now by ourselves. We're, we're sitting side by side uh, with other believers, with other followers of Christ, others that are about to remember uh, the blood and the body that was given up for them. So we've gathered in this sanctuary of God and we're not bound together just by kinship. Some of you are, but not all of us, but we are all bound by a relationship that we have together because God the Father is indeed our heavenly Father, which means that we're brothers and sisters sitting here and never in a family, when they come together, should there be division and should there be struggles and there should there be any problem amongst them. This is what Paul is speaking directly to in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Christ. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. See, oftentimes people will go, oh, well, I have something in my life. I can't participate. No, that's not what Paul says. Paul says, don't hold on to your grudge. Don't hold on to your sin. Don't hold on to what's in your life. Give that up so that you can participate in the Lord's Supper in the worthy manner. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with 
the world. And so it appears as we kind of study what was going on in the Corinthian church there, there was a larger meal that they participated in uh, when it came to the Lord's Supper. We, we use a small piece of bread and, and, and juice, the cup, but there seems to be a larger meal that they were participating in prior to that. And so Paul wrote, and in, in again in verse chapter 11, he says, therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, for you are eating, or excuse me, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. He says, some of you are gathering at this event for the wrong reason. And because you're gathering for the wrong reason, um, there's disunity that's in the body. There's things that aren't taking place are things that are taking place that isn't healthy for this body of believers that are coming together. And what Paul says there is that's not the correct way for the body of believers to be interacting with each other. And it wasn't the correct way then, and it's not the correct way now. So before we come to the table together today, we want to examine our hearts. We want to make sure if there's anything in our heart that should not be there. We want to search it. We want to be open he says there, if you, will, if you will earnestly, if you will sincerely uh, look at your heart uh, and then give those things up, then you can come to the table and you can do so in a worthy manner. So as we enter into this next part of our time together, I'm going to ask you if you would to stand to your feet with me. And as we're making sure that our hearts are ready to come to the table, uh, I would ask you to read out loud with me uh, this passage, these two verses from Psalm 139. Read them out loud with me, please. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. All I have 
have is yours every single breath I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper have the opportunity to kind of search our heart and to make sure that we're ready. And, and now we kind of begin to look at the elements that we're going to be uh, participating in this morning. Again, the context is um, the Passover meal. And so uh, Jesus is gathered there with his disciples. And there was many different elements to a Seder or to the Passover meal that was taking place. But there's two specific uh, elements that he pulls out of all of those. And those are the two that we see that he uses to demonstrate what the Lord's Supper is indeed all about. And the first was the bread of affliction. Um, it caused the mind of the believer to, or the mind of the Hebrew to uh, immediately go back to uh, the affliction and to go back what was going on in the life of the Hebrew uh, people during their time of uh, captivity. Uh, when we come to the table, the bread of affliction and God's deliverance, um, they come together and it gives us the opportunity to be able to think about how that Jesus Christ is, um, he really is our, our bread of life. He is, he is the one that sacrificed his life so that we could uh, be saved. And it's very, very important to, uh, to think about. Uh, Jesus uh, willingly gave up. He, he, he chose to, to use his body uh, to be able to do what was necessary so that we could have eternal life. This is what Isaiah is writing about in Isaiah 53. He says, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. And all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. And again, I'm gonna reiterate that idea of how he willingly gave, how he chose uh, to give his life uh, for us. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus explained to them in Matthew 26, that do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. He could have spoke a word and all of that would have been done away with. But he was willing, he accepted what it was gonna take. So Isaiah says, this is what it was like. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, 
yet he did not open his mouth. He could have. The spoken word, it would have been handled, but he didn't. He was like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. In John chapter 6, we find the story of, of the feeding of the 5,000 with five barley loaves and, and two fish. And in that story, we realize that uh, these all were willing to follow after Jesus. Uh, but Jesus realized it wasn't for uh, the right reasons. It wasn't with the right motivation. Uh, there in the presence of, of Jesus, they could have bowed before him and, and cried out to him as the Christ, the Savior. But instead, they wanted to rise up and lift him up to be the Messiah, the political Messiah that would, that would emancipate them, not from Egypt, but from Roman rule. And God understanding uh, their heart and understanding where they were coming from, he realized that they weren't basking in who he was. They were basking in what he could do for them. And that causes us to remember something when we come to the table today. We don't worship him because of what he can do for us. We worship him because of what he has already done for us. You see, as we eat this bread, we're reminded of the affliction and we're reminded of the deliverance and the provision of our Savior. He is our bread of life. He is our daily bread. He is our manna from heaven. He is everything that we need. And what this should do, it should drive us to a heart of worship. It should drive us to a heart of submitting ourselves rather than holding on to our selfish desires when it comes to what we think God ought to do. Jesus has just performed this amazing miracle and he's, he, he's done this feeding the 5,000 and their wives and their children and all these things. And then he looks at the crowd that day and this is what he says. He says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And that's kind of a hard statement for our, our civilized ears to hear. Whoever eats my flesh and whoever drinks my blood. But Jesus is simply, he's making an analogy here. He said, I'm the bread of life and whoever feasts upon me spiritually then that person will experience life. That person's needs will be met. That, that person's spiritual nutritional needs, uh, they will be fulfilled in me. But because of this statement, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, uh, some believe that when we stand over the, the elements and we announce a prayer that somehow the bread turns literally into the body of Christ and, and the juice literally into uh, the blood of Christ. And, and, and that, that wouldn't be in line with what happened in, in the first Passover there. Jesus didn't tear his arm off and say, take, eat. He didn't drip his blood and say, drink. He took a piece of bread from the Passover table and he, he broke it and he said, this is my body, take, eat, right? So it's, it's just an analogy. It's a picture that he's making. The bread is simply an object lesson, nothing more, nothing less that brings us face to face to the sacrifice that he made so that we can be saved. So as we eat the bread here in a few moments, we're, we need to remember, uh, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Will you stand to your feet and let's worship.
And everybody said, hey, man, thank you and be seated. So we've looked at that first element, his body. And now we come to that second element of the Passover meal that Jesus uh, used. And that was the cup. Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes Atonement. All of the Old Testament sacrificial systems, all of the different things that they used, they were simply pointing to what was going to be complete and what was going to be handled by the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. They were just, they were just temporary. They were just temporal in effect. But what Christ did once and for all, that's why the veil was torn from top to bottom in the, gar, in, uh, in the Holy of Holies, because it's once and for all. He says, it's finished. It was done. There was nothing else that needed to happen. And so when Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God died, then we know that the full wrath of God was satisfied. Is it any wonder when Jesus Christ came to the Jordan River that John looked up and said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see, it's the blood of Jesus that covers the guilt of man and it protects man from the judgment of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, Now, not someday, not in the sweet by and by. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, through faith in Christ and the blood sacrifice that he made for our sins, we're born again. We're saved. We have life everlasting. We have hope, abundant hope, like no one else has in the world today. And yet we let the, let the struggles of this life and the struggles of the economy and the struggles of the political world drag us down that we forget that we're the luckiest and most blessed people in all the world because of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. I think we're ready. Y'all ready? I think we're ready to participate. Deacons, you come. Let's prepare the table. I'm gonna give you some few instructions of how that this is gonna happen. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to all stand. Listen very carefully. I'm gonna ask you to all stand. And as the deacons serve you, first you're gonna take the bread and then you'll take the cup. And after you receive both elements, I would like for you to be seated. Right then, right when you receive those. And then we're going to wait on each other. Remember, that was kind of Paul's struggle um, with the church in Corinth. They weren't waiting on each other. So we're not going to do this individually. We're going to do this corporately together as a body of believers. So once you receive um, the elements, then just be seated. And now once everyone has received the elements, then we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. All right. So if you would stand to your feet at this time and we'll continue our time of worship. Oh God 
if you'll take that piece of bread, and I'll ask you just to take a look at that and think about what we just shared about the body of Christ. And listen as I read this passage. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God, we thank you so much that you loved us, and that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. And Christ, we thank you that you accepted and were willing to lay down your life for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We use a cracker on purpose. It's hard to swallow right now, isn't it? It's kind of caught in our throat. It's a reminder on the cross that Jesus said, I thirst. It's a reminder of just an essence of the things that he went through on our behalf. And then we take the cup. And here in a moment, we taste that. And it refreshes us the way that his blood is done for us. If you'll take that cup and notice it as I read this passage. And the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father God, we understand from your word that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In Christ, we thank you that you were willing to shed your blood for our salvation. Amen. The next verse there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim Christ's death until he comes. We've kind of come full circle now, haven't we? Uh, we're back to the importance of remembering. In, in Luke's Acts of the Apostles, he begins... Uh, he begins with the ascension, and he, he then moves into uh, what these disciples, these that were in the upper room when the first Lord's Supper was commissioned, he, he kind of transitions us into uh, what they were expected to do. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, Jesus looks at them and says, uh, you're going to be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts 
of the world. And immediately when we began to look at passages like that and the pastor begins to talk, our, our, our palms began to get sweaty and we get real serious in our looks and, and we get that frown that comes upon us because we just know he's about to ask us to walk up to people like spiritual bullies, grab them by the neck of their, or, or by their collars and just shake them and say, you better turn or you're gonna burn. But I never find that anywhere in scripture. All I find is that Jesus took these ordinary people and told them, I want you to go out in your ordinary life and I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. And all I simply want you to do is, I, I don't, I'm not asking you to be a, a systematic theology scholar. And I'm not, I'm not asking you to be the greatest apologist in the world so that you can match wits with, with, with all of the atheists and all of the agnostics that are in the world. He said, I just want you to be a housewife. I just want you to be a mechanic. I, I, I just want you to be a student. And I want you to go, go talk to your friend about what Jesus did in your life. Maybe, maybe invite them to church. Maybe, maybe have them go to lunch with them. And, and at lunch, say, can I just share with you the difference that Jesus has made in my life. All that he's called us to do is just to share what Jesus has done in our life. You see, the most, the most simple, succinct definition of evangelism is found in John chapter 1 and verse 42, where it says, he brought him to Jesus. That's all that we're called to do. We're just called to bring people to where Jesus is through our story, through our testimony, through our life. And then it's the Holy Spirit's job to do that. You see, we really are nobodies trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the privilege and the opportunity and the reason why that we should go. And we should do that each and every day of our lives. So if you will stand to your feet with me and I want you to join with Chris and with, with, with Bryce and with Carson as they help us remember that ever since Jesus rescued me, he gave us a song to sing and we are living for the world to see nobody, nobody, nobody but Jesus. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody. Well, all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight, you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen they would change the world well, the moral of the story is 
Everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, Who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody. Well, all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. So let me go down, down, down in history as just another blood-bought faithful member of a family. And if I all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. It's fine with me. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Sing that. Let me go down, down, down in history. Go down in history. As another blood-bought faithful member of the family. That's all I ever want to be. And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. Fine with me. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Cause I'm just a nobody. I'm trying to tell everybody. Well, all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since he rescued me, he gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for this very special service.